Welcome to J.P. Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Jahangir Aziz, and we're going to talk about all things connected to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So obviously this is a major event. It has a potentially uh, large and lasting reverberations in geopolitics and energy policy. But for the purposes of this conversation, of course, we're going to focus on its impact on the economic cycle, growth, inflation, and policy. And, and let me just start by putting a little frame on it. Uh, it's a frame we have been using, which is basically to say that the linkages between Russia and the rest of the world on the financial side are small. The linkages between Russia and the rest of the world in terms of trade outside of commodities is small. And that the major issue around how this shock reverberates really does relate to how it impacts on Russian supply of commodities, and in particular, uh, energy. So given that, and given that you have a speciality in the energy and commodity uh, sector, Jahangir, why don't you go through how we're reading the impact of this shock from that perspective? Sure. Um, so, Bruce, I think the first point what one needs to make is that uh, even two weeks ago, the dominant narrative um, was that in the event that U.S. determined an act by Russia to be an invasion of Ukraine, um, all sanctions uh, across the board would be uh, brought into play and at its extreme level. Now, we are clearly not in that environment. Instead, what we have seen is a fallback on the traditional sanction strategy of calibrating sanctions in phases. And uh, so you've seen two sets of sanctions uh, in the last one week. Um, and by and large, without going into details, these sanctions, while they have targeted, you know, uh, some individuals, financial uh, transactions of some uh, financial institutions, uh, they have left, uh, you know, energy and both oil and natural gas out of the uh, realm of those sanctions. Uh, in addition to that, um, the extreme sanctions have not been imposed. You know, the extreme sa sanctions being cutting off financial institutions in Russia from ruble convertibility or, you know, U.S. dollar settlements like SWIFT. Those things haven't been done. Now, what this what this opens up the possibility is that we haven't seen the end of the sanctions. Um, as tensions remain elevated or rise, the chances are that we are going to see further rounds of sanctions and therefore... Uh, you know, how we see the commodity price uh, uh, evolving depends on this view that tensions will remain elevated, sanctions will be broadened, will be intensified, and at some point in time, uh, the markets will start pricing in, for example, retaliatory measures by, uh, by, by Russia, both on the natural gas as well as on the oil front. Now, those two things are very different um, uh, in the sense that, you know, in the case of natural gas, um, we do know that the physical infrastructure that exists uh, is such that it's very difficult to find alternative sources, particularly in Europe. So in the, in the event that we do get some sort of a retaliation on that front, uh, you know, Europe will be uh, significantly affected. Uh, on the oil front, um, you know, that's is a somewhat of a different news. That in, wait, 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 slow down a second. I thought you'd be better than Joe in terms of letting me get a word in edgewise, but you're going on too long here. Let's let's sort of break this up a little bit and have a, a bit of a conversation. So first off, let's sort of talk about the oil price forecast specifically. What is our oil price forecast now as a result of what we've seen this week? 
so there's several uh, factors, some offsetting the other, but right now we are looking at about $110 a barrel average for second quarter. That goes down to about $100 a barrel in the third quarter and then to $90 a barrel in the fourth quarter. Um, the two sort of factors that are into, at play is that this fear that Russia might retaliate and take away some supply from the market and the prospects that uh, U.S. and Iran could come to a agreement uh, and therefore you, uh, Iran could start producing and bringing oil into the market. And these are two, two, these are the two offsetting factors that sort of uh, act together to give you this uh, price of 110 average. So we are at about you know high 90s right now, so we move up to about 110 on average by the second quarter. So, that's so we, should probably, we should probably just emphasize that that price increase is far more moderate than what we would anticipate if we would shut off Russian supply uh, rather than just be addressing uh, an environment in which there's a risk of that. And that's the issue around, you know, watching the path ahead, see what happens in terms of the, the sanctions, possible retaliations. Uh, there's also issues around potential disruptive effects to pipelines. Uh, but let's sort of um, recognize we did an exercise a number of weeks back asking what would be the consequences of shutting off Russian supply. And we came up with an estimate of about $150 on price. That's quite a bit higher than that 110 number. And um, obviously the $150 number has a pretty significant impact on, on global growth. It would take roughly a percent and a half off global GDP this year. Uh, sitting in the 110 zone, the impacts are quite a bit more modest, especially given that some of the rise that we've seen this year is also demand-driven. We've actually had pretty decent demand growth and energy consumption estimates have been uh, put up. But let's let's talk about right now the base, well, I guess we should call it a very uh, tentative baseline, but a, a baseline, as you described, of energy going up to 110, uh, risks remaining elevated, uh, but not going down the road of shutting off Russian supply. Where are we in terms of our global uh, macro outlook in that environment. So I think a lot of that depends will depend upon how we look at inflation, and we do expect that uh, you know the the rise in oil prices will have an impact on inflation. Um, as you said, you know these baselines will have to be adapted as we see more uh, actions on on the sanctions front and the reaction from Russia. But at 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 this point, we do expect inflation to be uh, to be elevated. Now this is something which is. You know, particularly worrisome. Um, you know, we've seen you know, a scourge of inflation over the last 18 months or so. Um, this has been, you know, we really haven't seen any material disinflation taking place, uh, even though several of the emerging market countries have already uh, raised rates. That impact of that is, you know, we are still waiting. Uh, so this adds one more layer of uncertainty and one more layer of concern to the to especially in countries where inflation is already high uh, well let me let me just sort of interject here the addition of inflation as you say is coming already after what we think is roughly 6 months of inflation running close to 6% globally that's right uh, i'm excluding turkey in this compar yes. comparison but yeah. uh, that kind of number is about it is actually for i think for two quarters would be the biggest increases we've seen since sometimes in the 1980s. Um, the uh, other side of this is we have built into our forecast a pretty strong second quarter. We are looking for the Omicron drag to fade. So taking something off of growth, 
right now I'd say at $110 a barrel, we're probably in the range of taking about 1% annualized off of our second quarter global growth forecast. But we're starting from 5%, so we're still sitting with pretty strong growth. So the backdrop that you're describing for central banks would be a third quarter in a row of super high inflation and growth still, even having been dented a bit, still running well above trend. So it's hard in that environment not to see the central bank community continuing to uh, move forward in terms of their, their rate hiking paths. I think, I think, I think you know, Bruce, that's, that's true. And you know, I was going to ask you, you know, how do you see the Fed, particularly in this environment, um, given that, you know, at some point, uh, probably about a week back, not, uh, that people and the clients were already talking about why can't the Fed move in a, uh, in, in a 50 basis rate, rate hike. Uh, rate hike. Um, but so what is your view on the Fed? Does the Fed change its uh, strategy given what's happening on geopolitics or does it continue? Because that really has a huge impact on how we in emerging market will be calibrating our rate hike cycle. So I'd say two things here. First, it's very hard for the Fed uh, to move away from its message that it's going to be moving and moving steadily as we go through 2022. And I think that is going to be the message that we're going to get from Chair Powell um, as he gives his semi-annual testimony next week. Uh, we think the Fed is on track for moving every meeting this year, 25 basis points. Uh, as you noted, there is the risk that they go 50. And Next Friday's employment report, our forecast is for a roughly 500,000 gain in jobs and a move down in the unemployment rate to 3.8%. That certainly adds some pressure here and possibly raises the probability of 50. But I think in the backdrop of the uncertainties we just described around Russia, there are risks, of course, that what we have in our forecast is going to be breached and we'll see the sanctions move in the direction that does create disruptions. I think the the argument will be, hey, we are behind the curve, we need to move, but let's wait a little while here. But the data and the inflation story, if it's not accompanied by a material disappointment in growth, certainly will put pressure on the Fed as we move through the middle part of the year to possibly accelerate even beyond the path that we've been uh, uh, describing here. I mean, let me just also throw in a, a plug for the ECB, which is to say Europe is more central to the uh, shocks here, but Europe is also getting more inflation and our economists in Europe just raised their inflation forecast for the euro area a full percentage point uh, for the end of 2022. That's partly because of the Russian shock. It's partly because of uh, what we saw from the French data this week, the first country to report February uh, inflation. Um, so I think the idea that the ECB isn't going to necessarily be that hawkish in March, but they'll open a door here, which it feels like they're more likely to walk through, and perhaps even earlier than our forecast uh, for the fourth quarter. Let's end by talking about the idea that uh, in this environment of higher inflation, more central banks, uh, somewhat weaker growth, there are some countries which are actually benefiting from this, and they, oddly enough, are EM economies. So why don't you give us your your top 10 list of 
countries benefited from the Russian invasion of the Ukraine? Ten, ten, ten might be a bit too much, but I will go with five. Um, but I also didn't want to give the viewers a sense that it's all gloom and doom on, on the inflation front. I mean, uh, you and I have talked about this a number of times, and we've written uh, uh, you know, se several times that, look, you know, uh, inflation, even though it's a scourge, lo looks like a scourge globally, you have a large part of the emerging market world and Japan, uh, which is Asia and EM Asia and Japan, where inflation is picking up. I'm not saying that the momentum isn't picking up, but it's still significantly lower uh, than what's been happening in Europe or in Latin America or in the U.S. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that, you, what, that comes out of all of this is that, you know, um, it's not for a good thing. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you know geopolitics politics is never really flare up. is a good thing. But, you know, one of the collateral benefits of all of this is that you are going to see the commodity exporters uh, benefit, benefit significantly uh, on top of almost, you know, 12 months of very strong commodity prices. And some of the emerging market countries that fall into that category are like, you know, South Africa and uh, Latin America. Uh, you know, but but you know, South the Africa, first time we've said something positive about Latin America, and as far as I can for, remember, for for uh, after a long time, I have to say. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So if you look at South Africa, right? So South Africa, we just got the budget out uh, this week, uh, and again, you know, the very strong, uh, you know, palladium prices, gold prices, coal prices has given the government space to go slower on the consolidation and therefore provide significantly more benefit support uh, in the near term for the economy. At the same time, because the external balances are going to be much stronger because of the stronger export, it gives the central bank more space to be more calibrated in its, uh, in its, in, in its interest in normalization uh, as the Fed uh, you know, proceeds uh, from March onwards. So I think there is clearly uh, one, one place where in, in the European time zone, where within emerging markets where it's not just, you know, Russia, Ukraine and uh, Turkey, but, you know, South Africa is a positive story. In Latin America, the similar kind of story. Uh, we know that Latin America has been, you know, facing, you know, very troubled last two years. Um, inflation, uh, incomplete recovery, all of that is true. Uh, but for the time being, they, will, they too will benefit uh, from the very strong commodity prices. And again, similar to South Africa, they will benefit on the fiscal front, they will benefit on the external balances, which again will provide more space for the central bank to go a bit more calibrated than they otherwise would have to. And I will, I will also say that, you know, even in countries that import oil but export, let's say, wheat or some or, or other uh, commodities um, and will face the brunt of the uh, pressure from higher crude oil, uh, they will they can use, you know, fiscal policy to, uh, you know, dampen some of the impact of the higher crude oil prices from being passed through to pump prices and therefore to headline inflation. So I would say that surprisingly, uh, you know, uh, you have countries in the emerging market world, and it's not just China, uh, where uh, people can find uh, some form of shelter from this, you know, geopolitical storm. Okay, well, that is uh, a new new wrinkle on the, our uh, regional stories, and I think we'll have to end there. We'll just end reminding people that in addition to the employment report next week, we will get the PMI reports uh, globally. Asia probably still being held back as it's getting hit by Omicron in the month of February. Uh, and also note that we do have the Bank of Canada starting its rate hike cycle uh, next week. We're looking for 25 basis points there. 
So with that, thanks everybody. I'll remember for next time that I got to leave a lot of time for Jahangir. He's just as bad as Joe and going on. But uh, thank you, and uh, let's continue the conversation next week on J.P. Morgan TV.